Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. That sounded super fake, but we're going to roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sticky. And today we are going to be talking about two um, posts from Slate Star Codex that I pulled out, which are actually both book reviews, but which I thought had some interesting things to say in a grander narrative when you look at them. Yeah, totally. Okay. The first one is Albion Seed. Uh, it's a book that is written by uh, written by a guy named Fisher, who tracks the history of immigration into America and says that it was mainly uh, four major groups in the beginning. It's apparently like a 900-page book. Yeah. When we discussed this in my Philadelphia Lestron group, I was like, I'm going to read this book. And then I looked at it, and it was this massive tome. I was like, I'm going to read this book sometime later. <laughs> I'm going to read the Wikipedia page uh, for this book. Yeah. I looked to see if there was an audiobook, and I could not find one. Do you actually have the book? No, I, I looked library. at it on interlibrary loan, where okay. they they give you photos of it, and just the photos were intimidating. I was like, oh dear, <laughs> that's nice. like all Harry Potter books in one. Is it N- not quite that big, but it's okay. it's pretty large. Order of the Phoenix is eight hundred seventy pages, and I think yeah, but it's also large text. Goblet of Fire was seven hundred thirty four, so I think between those are probably over nine hundred. But that's a fantasy books, and yeah, yeah, like I said, larger print for kids and stuff, right? It's like small yeah. print and very dense subject matter. Exactly. It was apparently, I think, in the opening paragraph, he says it was academically dense and stuff. But he 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 read it because I'm paraphrasing. It was like people kept telling me it explained all of American culture, and it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, I can I can I'm already intrigued. Let's read through the rest of this. Honestly, his review was long enough. I feel like I've read the book. So it was a really good review. Yeah. Scott writes fantastic reviews of books. Although the interesting. Uh this group facts part make me want to read the book more because a lot of the facts were really bizarre. Yeah. And I'm like, how many aren't in this review? Right. I should just say I'm nodding. I don't know what else to say. (laughs) You could say, yeah, I'm going to drop a couple of those. (laughs) Someone listening, Scott will get this joke. It'll be really funny. So yeah, it's not a joke. It's it's an inside joke. All right. I'll go ahead and ruin it by explaining. You, you can, gotta you, explain it now. You can cut out the explanation if you want. Okay. It doesn't matter. The Wheel of Time podcast that I've been listening to, they do instead of saying yeah, they one of them will say I'm nodding when they're like agreeing with the other person because they're in the oh. room with each other. Oh, uh, okay, okay. And so since Scott and I both listen to this podcast, my brother and I, he'll understand. He'll it'll be really funny. Gotcha. So. When you said Scott, I thought you meant Alexander. Yeah. Oh, then in that that's case, why I was confused as all hell. In that case, leave the explanation in. I'm pretty sure Scott Alexander listens to our podcast. He's probably annoyed at how badly we summarize his book reviews. You so. think? Let's find out. Okay. Scott, challenge you to write in if you hated our book, <laughs> our, our oh review God. of your book review. <laughs> I, I, I really doubt he leads to listens to our podcast. He's a busy guy. I'm oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Scott says that in school, we tend to think of the original American colonists as Englishmen, a maximally non-diverse group from all over the place. Fisher's thesis is the opposite. Different parts of the country were settled by very different groups of Englishmen. And Fisher describes four of them. The Puritans who came to New England in the 1620s, the Cavaliers to Virginia in the 1640s, the Quakers to Pennsylvania in the 1670s, and the Borderers to Appalachia in the 1700s. And we're going to go through these four groups now, more or less quickly, uh, to summarize what they were and what they brought to this country. Spoiler alert, when I read read Borderers, I think of Borderlands, and I'm glad that it's not that bad of a connection. (laughs) (laughs) It's basically exactly that. That's a good, helpful mnemonic. Yeah. So the Puritans were a religious group that drew disproportionately from the most educated and education-obsessed parts of the English populace. The Puritans seem to have taken the classic dystopian bargain, give up all freedom and individuality and art... And you can have a perfect society without crime or violence or inequality. 
And he gave a lot of statistics about how it was, like, one of the lowest crime places in the world. And everyone was super educated. Um, but, yeah, they they lived the crazy kind of Puritan life that you think of. Where they're in church for six hours and everyone's very strict. And you can't have any colors because that is tempting of the devil to come into your life and shit like that. Yeah, we use the word Puritan now to describe things that are kind of stodgy and <laughs> rigid. Um, I think it's great we could study history because weirdly enough, it's like we can always find examples of things that look like crazy thought experiments. Mm -hmm. For example, when I was a kid, first learning about the Athenians and the Spartans, I was like, really? There were actual whole societies based around wisdom and strength, with yeah. like capital W's and S's. Right. And it kind of adds believability to the, our universe is a simulation theory. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like somebody playing The Sims, right? Right. Yeah, let's make a society where they actually, you know, don't feed their children for weeks on end so that they have to steal in order to survive. <laughs> Are you referencing an actual culture? Sparta. Yeah. Oh, that was Sparta, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they also threw babies off cliffs, right? Right. If they weren't, yeah, up to the, the physical standards. They're like, nope, must keep the gene line pure. Just to be clear, most of what we know from Sparta, we know from 300, right? No. Because <laughs> both the things you just said, I think, were in the movie 300. Well, I mean, they were really cool facts about the society, right? you got to put that in. Okay, fair enough. You're like, these people are so badass that if their babies aren't badass enough, they kill them. Yeah. I, I, that movie makes me want to go home and do push-ups and get into a fight in the, lot, in the parking lot and stuff. It's just... Does it also make you want to have slaves? Because the reason they were such a strength-obsessed culture was because they were always worried about the slave revolts. <laughs> They, uh, no, it they doesn't. don't. They don't show that in three hundred. They're like, "Yes, Spartans are all about freedom. We need our liberty, and we keep our way of life by having so many slaves that we're terrified." Well, they're to, trying to make the Spartans look cool. Well, I mean, they did look cool. To be did clear, that, that's the legacy of of our founders as well, right? Yes. So, I mean, we we want to be and and the legacy of the Southern Secession, like we want to be free to have our slaves. Right. We want to be free, not not them. Forget you, about them. Did you not think the Spartans looked cool in three hundred? No, I didn't like that movie. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe it's a guy thing. I liked the memes. Yes, they were great Does that count? memes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just like Gerard Butler's voice, face, abs, arms, and everything. So, <laughs> right. cape, cape. The cape was important. Yeah. yeah. I think I just got really mad at the historical inaccuracy because I was in that phase. That's like oh, sitting there yeah. frowning in the theater. <laughs> My friends had dragged me to it. I was like, "That's not right. That's not right." <laughs> they didn't actually have monsters on their side. <laughs> <laughs> Not everyone was wearing eyeliner all the time. Yes. <laughs> all right, Cavaliers? Uh, yeah, let's go on with that. But yeah, the, all sorts of interesting facts about the Puritans. If you guys read the post, and you should, because it's a really fantastic post that goes into much more detail. Yeah, even if you don't read the post, just read the interesting Puritan facts, Cavalier facts, etc. Yeah. There's like a couple of bullet points of the most bizarre or like interesting things. Yeah. That and they are very man. bizarre and interesting. Absolutely. Uh, the Cavaliers, these were the nobles that had fought and lost the English Civil War. They fled to Virginia as a destination for refugee nobles, who did everything possible to maintain the possession of oppressive supremacy to which they were accustomed. Uh, so these were the slaveholders. They brought tons of slaves with them, indentured servants. They oppressed white people just as much as anyone else, but eventually they, you know, settled on the black people as their slaves. And yeah, they, they are the plantation and the southern slave society that you think of uh, when you think of the old south uh, it says virginia was the opposite of massachusetts their homicide rate was sky high and people were actively encouraged to respond to slights against their honor with duels for the rich and violence for the poor 
I like that distinction. Yeah. Uh, they were obsessed with gambling. A lot of their fun was blood sports, hunting. And, you know, the more rich you were, the bigger the thing that you hunted was. That sort of thing. They were not a society that I would be fond of. And they were, as you said, people who believed they needed the ultimate freedom. And the only way you can be free from work if is if you have slaves and stuff. Yeah. I'm just kind of shaking my head in bewilderment just imagining this hellscape and it's... Kind of like Detroit 3.0. Yeah. Sounds like a nightmare. Then I'm also, for whatever reason, hung up on the fact that only rich people got to duel. And then I'm wondering what the difference was between, like, <laughs> you know, if maybe, you know, if somebody caught poor people dueling, did they kick their asses or something? Or right? <laughs> You'd have to then, duel the poor people. Right? <laughs> I'm not going to dignify that with a duel. Get, your, get my henchmen to beat them up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Oh, maybe you had to be. Maybe it was dueling because he had guns and pistols and poor people didn't have those. Maybe oh, yeah. the poor people just didn't have the custom of like having the ritual behind the violence. They just went off and, you know, hauled someone in the face. That's actually a good point, right? You duel if you're like there to make a point. And that's why like there's the whole strategic missing and stuff. Like I'm just here to make you what yourself or to look big. Yeah. But if my goal is to kick your ass, I'm going to just run up and hit you with a brick when you're not looking, right? So <laughs> like there's nothing dueling good sport about that. So I don't think you it would count as... Um, defending your honor if you hit him with a brick when they're not looking. I didn't say anything in here about defending. Oh, it does say well, respond, responding to slights up against your honor. Yeah, okay. And if I have to, you know, I don't. I guess I, I don't. I don't you'd, you'd have to be in that culture to know. Yeah, and I don't know a lot about or, or honor read a fighting. About it. Yeah. I, I I understand that it exists, but I, the the impulse isn't really there for me. Like if if you've wronged me and I want to stop you, I'm not going to like challenge you to a duel and get my ass kicked because you'll beat me up. So I'm going to just sneak up on you and take you out, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah. My goal is to win, not to look good. Yeah, it is kind of the more sh- rational strategy to just do like a drive-by shooting than to be like, you know, I publicly challenge you. We're going to take this many paces and then turn, and then it's kind of just like random who shoots who. This is like, not a rationalist endorsement of drive-by shooting. <laughs> no, but like I mean, a compelling who case that this... for drive-by shootings. I, I don't like really understand. Yeah, who thought that this like who shoots first, you know, determines who lives or dies? Like that, I don't. Well, it, it's, it it's like flipping a coin. The, uh, the, the outlawed dueling once pistols became more accurate because people were dying in droves back in the day that you just turn around and shoot at each other and most of the time there would be a miss. And but do you people... keep shooting until someone dies? Or no, no. Is it just you like, just well, it's over? Shoot, yeah, shoot one <laughs> bullet. Honor has been satisfied. Usually is how it went. But then who wins? It doesn't matter who wins. The point was to uphold your honor. And honor has been satisfied once you have gone through the dual ritual. I completely sympathize with your confusion because it's like nobody, you know, we haven't changed anything. We went out there. Well, no, we, you showed we... that the guy can't just like insult you in front of your woman. You will take him to a duel and there will be some risk of injury <laughs> or death, even if it's really small. Because every now and then the bullet lands. <laughs> so if you want to insult me, you can do that. But there's a chance you might get shot. And really, the, the, the important part is that all the people around you see that you're willing to also risk risk death to to stand up to him you don't just like take it lying down be like oh yeah i guess i am stupid looking i feel like a boxing match would have settled this better but i guess obviously because you're nobles and your delicate hands and (laughs) soft features (laughs) a slap fest take that nerds this is your legacy (laughs) okay we're moving on to the quakers the quakers who i did not realize this but are basically modern americans at least in my opinion well, and the Quakers, I think this is like the group that we've all heard of where, you know, from that example from last week where we talked about uh, is, what was it, Nixon a, a Quaker? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is still colloquial. Yeah. Like the word Cavalier is around. Puritan is still colloquial, but it's not a uh, 
a group you I've see. I've yeah. never actually heard of the Cavaliers, like the, you know, Virginians or the specific group of nobles being referred to as Cavaliers before this book. Me Puritans either. and Quakers I heard of, Borders and Cavaliers. I, I, I weren't really terminology that I've been familiar with. I've only heard of being Cavalier, like as, a, as an adjective, not as a right. group. Yeah. Yeah, not specifically this group of Virginians. I've, you know, I've run into Cavaliers as a class you can play in various role-playing games, but not as, yeah, as Virginians. <laughs> the, new, uh, the new Quaker DLC they for Diablo 3. Perfect. Or <laughs> 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 you're just very polite to people until they go away. <laughs> can I please have some loot? You don't really need that axe. <laughs> Tell us about Quakers. Quakers mandated universal religious tolerance, a ban, a total ban on military activity, and a government based on checks and balances. They also essentially invented modern abolitionism. Uh, one of the interesting things about Quakers is they basically tolerated themselves out of existence. They were so welcoming to religious minorities and immigrants that those groups took up shop in Pennsylvania and ended its status as a Quaker society. But, on the plus side, the Pennsylvanians became the thought leaders of the entire Mid-Atlantic region. And we can really trace back a lot of our culture. I mean, everything... I said up there is kind of what we have right now, right? At least ideally. Yeah. yeah, we don't have a total ban on military activity. That would be nice. Yeah, it would. But we do have a general kind of aversion to violence, yeah. or at least to seeing it. Is this why you want a high fence for entering the rationalist community so we don't get tolerated out of existence? Or so we don't tolerate ourselves out of existence? By let, I said by I let, a high fence? I think you wanted a threshold, like a barrier to entry. I wanted some barrier to entry. Yeah. yeah it doesn't necessarily have to be like high, though. Like don't know how high to put my hand to have some barrier but, <laughs> right yeah okay. anyway yeah um, so th there's this wonderful quote that scott wrote i'm just going to read the, the whole thing uh he says it occurs to me that william penn might be oh william penn founder of pennsylvania this first quaker he was responsible for them it occurs to me that william penn might be literally the single most successful person in history he started out as a minor noble following a religious sect that everyone despised and managed to export its principles to pennsylvania where they flourished and multiplied Pennsylvania then managed to export its principles to the United States, and the United States exported them to the world. I'm not sure how much of the suspiciously Quaker character of modern society is a direct result of William Penn, but he was in one heck of a right place at one heck of a right time. I'm like, that is just fucking inspiring, man. Yeah, and it kind of leads you to question the concept that the Quakers tolerated themselves out of existence, because right? did they really? Or did they take over everything? It's, bum, bum, bum. it's one of those things where every now and then, like, I hear about uh, how, you know, Genghis Khan raped his way across Asia, and like one third of all men now are descended from uh, Genghis Khan's father. Was it one third of all men or, or just Asian men? Oh, sorry. One third of all Asian men are uh, descended from Genghis Khan's father. And I mean, that's that sort of seems like a big impact. But on the other hand, if one third of all Asian men have your genetics, that's your, your contribution has been so diffuse that there's really nothing left there anymore, right? Yeah, you didn't pass your ideology down. We're not like, yeah. one third of Asians aren't warlords. Right. It's like, <laughs> what, what does it matter if your genes are still there, vastly diluted across a diverse pool of humans, whereas like this person has the things that he believed in and that he wanted to, to give to humanity spreading out all across this country and slowly seeping into the rest of the world? That's that's pretty fucking awesome, and you know I don't know how many kids he had, but it probably wasn't nearly as many as Genghis Khan. And it doesn't really matter, right? The 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 thought children that are still flourishing is more yeah. important. Yeah. Also, so it makes me feel really good about my decision to not have biological children. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Now you just need to be as successful as William Penn, God or damn it. maybe his distant second, Jesus. 
Yeah. I was surprised that Jesus wasn't one of the most successful people, but... Well, because Jesus may not have really existed. I, yeah. I was kind of thrown But Jesus shade. was always, like, kind of my number one counter-Genghis example before William Penn. And I was like, you know, Jesus or the rough ideology that centered around a Jesus-like character. I always liked his, like my my opposite of like, all right, if I want to be remembered and I'm not going to go like the whole, you know, conqueror route, I'd rather be like an Aristotle or Pluto kind of character, right? Yeah. I didn't think about Jesus as an example, maybe because his legacy is not, uh, depending on who you talk to, well, no matter who you talk to, it's, it hasn't been clear enough to be awesome, right? So, right, right. And I uh, mean, it's so, there's so many different branches now They're from like the really militant Christians to the people that are more like the turn the other cheek, you know? Yeah, yeah n- very few people are actually following what Jesus says right. in the Bible. So, <laughs> I saw a a, uh, a picture a few weeks ago, right around Thanksgiving. It was like Jesus standing over a crowd of hungry people with like a bunch of food or whatever. It was one of those fancy pictures, mm-hmm. and the caption was like, or it was at the top. It was like Republican Jesus, and it was like, I can't just give you this food. That'd be socialism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and not, then we'll not give up all be, your possessions and follow me. Not trying to be aggressively political, but that was something I saw recently. So, On the other hand, yeah, like you say, his advice to sell everything you own and follow him is not really good long-term life advice. It wasn't even sell. Well, it wasn't it also was, like they ended it with like the end is coming. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, that was the shtick that literally you got maybe a few decades left here on this planet. He really seems to think that like the world is going to end during his lifetime. Yeah. Or like during the lifetimes of people listening to him, right? Yes, absolutely. So it... You know, if and they've managed to keep that going for two thousand years too, <laughs> that, that's quite that's quite the commitment. I was gonna say, like, if you showed me, you know, a meteorite forty years out, and it's like that's definitely coming, I'd be like, all right, well, I'm not going to work, right? Right. So, right, right. um, I I can totally see if I really believed that, sure. But if you told me it's coming in two thousand years, I'm like, I should probably keep I mean, going even, to my job. Even with forty years, I'd still go to my job. My savings ain't gonna last me forty years. Yeah, but like then. I don't know. I feel I well. Yeah, we're getting too anarchy far is going to happen. And... Exactly. Yeah. What are you going to buy when you know you can't eat the money that you saved in your bank when you know everything's gone to shit? But now I'm right. getting too far afield. So yeah. Yeah, I want to come back to what Inuyash was saying about the Quakers basically being modern people. Scott actually warns us. Uh, well, actually, Scott quotes. Well, this is a quote from the book review. Uh, Fisher warns against the temptation to think of the Quakers as normal modern people. But he has to warn us precisely because it's so tempting. Mm-hmm. Where the Puritans seem like a dystopian caricature of virtue, and the Cavaliers like a dystopian caricature of vice, the Quakers just seem ordinary. Um, I find the Quakers particularly interesting because I'm descended from them. <laughs> I have an ancestor named Consider Wood. They mention all the fun Quaker names. Actually, I think they did. Did Scott mention the like fun names of each of Wait, the sects? You personally? Yeah. Oh, neat. And uh, I also just sort of like them. Yeah. If I had to pick a sect of Christianity, I'd probably be a Quaker. They're kind of like they seem the, basically the Christian ones. Buddhists. Yeah. Um, if you're just skimming history books for aspects of their beliefs and culture, they do seem to have highly modern values. Like people are all equal under God, including uh, they, men and women could both preach. That was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And Way ahead of their time. Yeah. Uh, you married for love. You loved and took care of your children, <laughs> which mm-hmm. was also pretty rare at the time. Violence is bad. But if you do any deeper reading, or God forbid, try reading any primary sources, Quakers are still pretty alien compared to us. They're like insanely bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have these lengthy religious and social rituals that somehow manage to trigger all of my this is a cult red flags, while I also pretty much agree with what they're actually doing <laughs> in those rituals. For example, in the interesting Quaker facts, Scott mentions their wedding process, which has 16 stages, one of which is obtain a certification of cleansliness. <laughs> anyway, all I'm trying to say is if you're a sci-fi writer looking for ideas, not nearly enough sci-fi has been written about space Quakers. So, 
So there you go. Of the like 15 minutes total I've seen of Star Trek, it seems kind of like Space Quakers. Hmm. Oh. I meant like explicitly like huh. Quaker, but yeah, no, that's that's kind of a good point. Yeah. I'm At sure least... there's a thousand counterexamples from someone who's actually yeah, seen yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's but, violence. But, right. <laughs> but I mean, it's it's not it's not a bad comparison at all, especially the TNG kind. Good. Yeah. All right. All righty. The Borderers. That's hard to say. Borderers? Borderers. Yeah. Borderers. The Borderlanders. There we go. Borderlanders. The border... Uh, okay, so this is... They came from the border area between... What was it? Uh, Scotland and England, where there was constant invasions going back and forth between the two countries for about 700 years. Uh, the border area was one giant cesspool of robbery and murder. Life consisted of farming the lands of whichever brutal warlord had the top hand today... Followed by being called to fight for him on short notice, followed by a grisly death. Uh, he also goes on to say about how since there was all this border raiding back and forth, people started getting, you know, pissed off at the other side. And they would capture who they could and torture murder them. And just the whole area was completely fucked for 700 years. It's uh, a really long time. Yeah, seriously. Uh, the border people dealt with it as best they could and developed a culture marked by extreme levels of clannishness, xenophobia, drunkenness, stubbornness, and violence. Eventually, 250,000 of these people ended up in America. And by comparison, there were only like uh, 20,000 of the Puritans and I think 50,000 of the Quakers. They were just a huge group. Uh, nobody nobody wanted these people around all three of the previous groups saw them and were like no apparently the quakers like tried to integrate them <laughs> at first and then after a while they also said no like you, you can have these mountains exactly so they kicked here. them out to the appalachians which were far away from everyone and full of fun indians to fight <laughs> yay question mark <laughs> right uh, so they, the, it turns out that the appalachians are uh, not the appalachians the borderers really liked the appalachian mountains they were already used to not having very fertile areas. Uh, they liked having all the Indians to fight, and they just took to them like fish to water. And they were the first, one of the first groups, I think he said the first group, to really just abandon all their previous roots and were like, yeah, we're Americans. This is America. This is the best place. We're Americans now. And uh, we still kind of see that today. Yeah, there was a follow-up to this book review called I'll Be On Seed Genotyped. Mm-hmm. Where they did actually do questionnaires on the groups, you can actually like divide them by genotype um, and trace it back to which group of Englishmen people were descended from. And uh, they one of the questions on the questionnaire was, "What uh, ethnicity are you?" And people would answer, you know, like I'm Irish American. And but the borders were always the ones that said American and yeah. completely ignored the like, "Where did you come from?" Like, "No, I'm American." Mm-hmm. I don't have much to add there than I'm just counting my lucky stars. I wasn't born in some society where my highest calling was killing the hated enemy. Yeah. And apparently it was mostly the borderers that uh, once the while the western frontier was opened, were out there and be like, yeah, let's settle this land. And, you know, kill off the Indians and expand westward and do what we can do. Yeah, I'm just picturing, like, it would sure be nice to imagine, like, oh, finally we're free of all this, necess- ne- you know, quote-unquote necessary bloodshed. Yeah. Now we can finally chill out. They're like, no, fuck that. Now mm-hmm. we can finally just keep kicking ass. Like, well, I mean, that's been their culture for 700 years, right? Yeah, it's just, it's, that's, There's, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm saying. I was like, I'm really glad that I wasn't born there, so. It's, what a bummer. I don't know. I kind of, it is not a society I would ever want to be a part of. But I kind of, like, have this sort of romantic glow about it. Oh, totally. Like, I am free. I am just <laughs> going out into the West and staking my claim and putting up this house. And 
and Scott mentions that the towns that they uh, that they found (laughs) all had names like Shit Creek and and just all these things that sounded downright orcish, but were real names. And there's something about it that is like that. That sounds like fun. That reminds me, season five of Shit's Creek comes out, I think, in a couple weeks in January. So. There's a TV show with that name. Oh, really? Um, it's, Does it it's, take place in the border town? It's it's in the middle of bumfuck nowhere. It's a completely different premise. Basically, okay. it's Eugene Levy is like the dad, and he's of this family, and they were like these multi multi millionaires, mm-hmm. and they their accountant fucked them or whatever, and they're out of all their money. But they bought this small town as a joke some years earlier, so they moved there, <laughs> and yeah. it's just this little podunk. You know, they live in a motel there, and it's it's a it's a funny thing. But cool. um, he said shit creek. That's kind of funny. I had something I was going to say before that that was much more relevant. Oh, the romanticism of, of yeah. the whole thing. Well, like, haven't you ever played like games where the orcs, that's and what, they're just fun, right? That's, that's what I was going to say. Red Dead Redemption is a very popular video game right now. Mm-hmm. Um, every, like, there's something, you they're know, a, a, lot of the, a lot of good fantasy books take place right in that kind of time frame where it's like, sure, you know, some footpad could just run up and take your coin purse and stab you in the alley and there's something about like that lawlessness vibe you know before fingerprint identification maybe before like you know where all this before surveillance cameras and fingerprint identification where yeah. uh it's maybe 50 years ago <laughs> where you know the idea that like uh, romantic might be not the right word for it but something you know you had your if, boys if and you i guys was were always out together yeah, yeah if i was filling time traveling you know between stars while in like not full crowd stage because i'd be super boring unconscious but like playing full immersion skyrim i could imagine playing a full immersion jack ripper era london or uh not being jack ripper that'd be fucked up unless right. i knew they were all not sentient in which case go nuts right i'd still no i don't know it'd be it'd be gross. you've never you never save like outside of a town in skyrim and then massacre everybody and then well, no, okay so I mean, like in fallout <laughs> and shit i would totally do that yeah you that blew up megaton fun. admit it yeah no yeah. <laughs> right no but i mean that's slightly different from like if it was fully immersion and i like Oh sure, had running some up and killing. woman where I was like pulling her guts out while she was screaming. That, no, no, that's that's a completely fair point. I didn't mean to misrepresent that. I'm fully of the opinion that if you play in Westworld, you're a monster. Right. Um, unless you're just there to go hunt treasure and you know, uh, I guess fight off you raiders or something, hat. right? Huh? You could play a white hat. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm defending this, and then in circles. Now we're getting sidetracked. All right. right. So, moving forward. Okay. Fisher puts together the argument that. Nowadays, the Puritans and Quakers sort of merged into a group, which is now like the progressives or the blue tribe or the educated coastal elites. And then the Cavaliers and the Borderers kind of merged into what now would be like the conservatives or the red tribe or the rednecks. And uh, that is where our modern culture war, at least in the U.S., comes from. Those two cultures going at it. And it does map out on the uh, genotyped essay as well, like scarily accurate map that you can draw of the genetics of each of those groups. And I believe it was people's voting record as well as yeah, their political yeah. beliefs. The voting map was really interesting how well it mapped onto where those places were settled. The horrifying part is the genetic part. Like you don't, you know, you can get up and move if you hate where you're from, but you can't get up and change your genes if you hate where, where your genes are from, right? So, right. Uh, I certainly would like to believe, I know that it's not settled science, but uh, I think it's 
there's enough ambiguity ambiguity there where I don't have to reluctantly settle on a claim I don't like, which is that if you have shitty genes, you're a shitty person. Not right. just like no, you have no. bad luck. You know, if you're short, you're short, whatever. But like, hey, you come from you know a long line of murderous assholes. <laughs> Congratulations, you're gonna be a, you're gonna be an asshole your whole life, right? Yeah. So I mean, everything is partially genetic, right? Right. Th- there is nothing that is not influenced by the genes. But no, I totally agree that I don't think it is. I don't think genes are destiny. Yeah, you don't get to pick your culture either, though. Right. Which I believe was brought up in the essay. Yeah. But you kind of can now in that, like, if you hate where you're from, you, you know, if you have the... if you, Some people have the mobility to get up and leave, right? Yeah, I mean, less so if, probably if you live in the Appalachians, though. Totally. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Or, um, here's the thing that I pulled. If you live in the Middle East, Scott Alexander says, this isn't the direct quote, I paraphrased a little bit, uh, we gradually acknowledge the importance of culture when we admit that maybe making the Middle East exactly like America in every way is more of a long-term project than something that will happen as soon as we kick out the latest dictator and get treated as liberators. Part of us may still want to believe that pure reason is the universal solvent, that those Afghans will come around once they realize that being a secular liberal democracy is obviously great. But we keep having deep culture shoved in our faces again and again, and we don't know how to get rid of it. This has led to reasonable speculation that some aspects of it might even be genetic, something which would explain a lot, although not its ability to acculturate recent arrivals. And the main thing I got out of this is that where you come from and the culture in that area is really fucking important and you can't just like talk to people and reason to them and make them realize that one way is better or another they have this background that informs everything yeah it's really interesting and i wish uh the albion seed groups and kind of the explanations for the political and uh cultural influence was better known so it could come up more in the context of discussion about generational trauma like, people still are discussing whether it's real, and if so, how long and far-reaching its effects can be. Uh, this is usually brought up, unfortunately, in the context of race, with black Americans who are right. the descendants of slaves, or Native Americans. And it also factors into more recent discussions around immigrants and refugees. But here's a perfect example of it happening to white people, too. The borderers, mm-hmm. <laughs> the cavaliers. Um, a culture where there's a history of violence and trauma that's continued to affect the education and employment rates, uh, crime drug use, depression, suicide. And maybe it's a problem people don't like to talk about because kind of, you know, like religion, maybe we tend to be over tolerant of people's culture. Like people feel icky telling others, I would, uh, this might be a bad culture for you. And people who've grown up in that culture are understandably defensive of it. Like what Stephen was saying, there's something romantic about it too. Like, you know, as a border, you can still have aspects of your culture you can be proud of, like strength, honor, bravery. And people don't like to hear someone coming in from some other culture and telling them, well, you need to change. (laughs) And how do you even change a culture, even if you agree it's bad? Like, split the people up, move them away, re-educate them. (laughs) That, like, didn't work so well for the Native Americans, and it's pretty terrible to think about. Yeah. I think it's certainly harder than, like, killing a lot of them and saying, all right, you survivors, you're going to start coming to our schools, and we'll show you how great we are. We're going to put you in our clothes and whatever. That's not the way anyone should. That's not, that's, A, not the right like morally right way to do anything and it's probably not going to work mm-hmm. um, yeah it's just going to make them hate you yeah mm-hmm. uh, and, you know cause that trauma that can transcend generations one of the very bad wizards wrote that book on honor cultures yeah um, Tamler. yeah i forget i always could never put their names together uh-huh. um i know what their names are but not which not which vo- what not which name belongs to which voice right right um yeah and i well, i the way i remember it is that uh uh, David Navarro has a Hispanic name, and sure enough, he's Hispanic. Ineash here, with another correction. I said Dave Navarro, I meant Dave Pizarro. 
Dave Navarro is guitarist and sexiest member of Red Hot Chili Peppers, whereas Dave Pizarro is a professor of psychology and a very bad wizard. And Tamler has sort of like a weird name, and oh yeah, it turns out he's Jewish, so okay. It could be one of those more traditional Jewish names. Can you tell from how they sound which one's which? Uh, yeah. Oh, I can't. Oh, okay. Like, I can tell their voices apart. Oh, yeah, But yeah. I don't know which ones, I still don't know which sound belongs to which name. Okay, so Tamler sounds more like... If you say Jewy, we've got to cut it out. <laughs> no, I'm not going to say Jewy. <laughs> Good, we've we got to cut that out then. Um, Tamler sounds more like what I would think of as a sort of professorial, but kind of also like put upon. His voice to me sounds like he's under some pressure all the time, whereas Dave sounds more like kind of relaxed, and he's almost got sort of a surfer vibe a little bit to his voice, in okay. my opinion. Whoa, Jude. Not, not quite <laughs> to that extent, but just, just a little bit of surfer there. Like his surfing days are behind him, but, but he knows how to surf. <laughs> right, okay, he knows sure. how to chill. All right. Um, Why isn't surfer culture more prevalent? Um, most of the land isn't coastal. Yeah. yeah. Although I did go to a taco shop in Denver, and it was surf themed, and they just had surfboards on the walls and like. Yeah, well, I was like, okay, yeah, that was it. And I was just laughing like that. There's not an ocean anywhere near here, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was there with Autumn, and she was like, "Well, there's, you know, there's, there's snowboarding. <laughs> that's kind of the not same." Snowboards <laughs> that they have on the walls. <laughs> I saw like my first, like the people that I knew. I've seen them before, but in high school, the some people I knew became like those, you know, cosplaying cowboys twenty four seven. And it would be great seeing them, you know, get out of their like their Honda Civic, and then step out with their boots, and they've already got their hat on because they've been driving to, you know, driving to school with it on. Mm. And I'm like. When have you ever seen a cow? <laughs> uh, but uh, it's also as much as I dislike borderer culture, I will have to admit it's useful having those sorts of people around because they make up most of the the military forces in the U.S. Yeah, totally, and a lot of manual labor too. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the Appalachians. You think of mining, right? Yeah, mining all that clean coal. I keep hearing about. Um, <laughs> Yeah, as long as it's useful to have soldiers and laborers, then it, you know, if they're people who want to fight and labor, then right. it's nice to have them around. So well, um, it's nice to have things mined for you and wars fought for you, but yeah, totally, I'm not gonna do that. Ends shit. up being a you know kind of weird uh, hierarchy right. of the people that don't have to fight or mine, and the ones that do because that's what's available to them. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of how discouraging it is that some of your culture and your attitudes may be genetically predetermined. Sounds like a nice segue into evolutionary psychopathology. Yeah. Although, did you want to read your little comment at the end there? I mean, if you if you read this on Scott Alexander's post, it's like part four, the borderers or something, and he's got it broken up. The semicolon between, or the, the colon between part four and borderers, those are all hyperlinks to uh, civilization characters, which I thought was kind of fun that he snuck those in. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't either. I need to go totally back and... that's a Scott thing to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was big on Civ, right? Mm-hmm. So, all yes. Right. Evolutionary Psychopathology is the next book. And this book makes the case that, that there's two major reproductive... Stra- okay, so... First of all, it is already uh, accepted that there's two major reproductive strategies in the general animal kingdom. There's the have tons of kids that you put very little effort into like fish do. And there's the have one kid that you put a ton of effort into like an elephant does or a humans do. Quickly to sum up the two, the two ways to reproduce, he calls them Del, what's his name? 
Delgadish. It sounds more Italian than Spanish to me. It does. I'm not even going to try it. So, okay. That guy. The author. The author. (laughs) Del G. Let's call him Del G. The G. (laughs) Of the G. Um, He has them broken up into what he calls fast and slow strategies. The fast strategy is like uh, live fast, die young. They're well adapted for unpredictable, dangerous environments. Each organism has a pretty good chance of dying randomly in some unavoidable way before adulthood. The species survives by fa- by sheer numbers. Fast organisms grow up as quickly as possible in order to maximize the chance of re- reaching reproductive age before they unpredictably die. They should mate with anybody around to maximize the chances of mating before they unpredictably die. They should ignore their offspring since they expect most offspring to unpredictably die <laughs> and since they have too many to take care of anyway. They should be willing to take risks, since the downside, death without reproducing, is already the default, and the upside, becoming one of the few individuals to give birth to 10,000 offspring, is high. So I'm just thinking of, like, you know, those those beautiful videos of, like, turtle eggs hatching and, you know, dozens of turtles just, you know, crawling towards the sea. Yeah. Frantically and- running towards the sea while seagulls pick them off. Yeah, uh-huh. I like I like the nice ones where you don't watch them being ripped apart by birds. <laughs> those are all edited not to show that. I, I like the, you know, I was thinking about, and I know this is a digression, but now that I'm thinking about baby turtles, here we go. Hmm. Um, you know, the Steve Irwin videos from back in the day where, you know, he'd be showing them like trying to cross this rock or something. He's like, I can't help him because I don't want to interfere with the environment. I'm like, yeah, but Humans already kill so many turtles. <laughs> like, if you help this little one, yeah, sure, there's going to be one more coming from this beach that might not otherwise would have. But how many of the ones that just got in the water are choking on trash right now? <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I think principles. I think a case can be made for helping those turtles into the water if you, if you, if well, you want. Well, how will they ever evolve the ability to not choke on trash <laughs> if you just help them all along? <laughs> like helping them into the water, you're not helping them once they're in the trash. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's my turtle side point. So then, then slow, um, slow reproducers are going to be the or the slow strategy ones are going to be long term investments. You know, I think they use elephants a lot in the in the book review, but um, you know, humans, I guess maybe other primates. Yeah. There are there a ton. I feel like we're outnumbered by you know, like I feel like cats are like kind of like cats They're and fast, dogs are kind. Yeah, they have litters. Yeah, these fat. are kind of oversimplifications. These two categories. Yeah. Yeah. but they seem kind of middle because, like, you know, they might raise their young for two or three years. It's true. Yeah, but they invest a lot more. They invest more. They invest way less than like fish and turtles, but more than, uh, or excuse me, but less than like elephants and people. So yeah. anyway, yeah. Uh, slow strategy is well adapted to safer environments or predictable complex environments whose intricacies can be mastered with enough time and effort. Slow strategy animals may take a long time to grow up since they need to achieve mastery before leaving their parents. They might be very picky maters since they have all the time in the world to choose, will only have a few children each, and need to make sure that each of these children has the best genes possible. They should work hard to raise their offspring since each individual child represents a substantial part of the prospects of their genetic line. They should avoid risks since the downside, death without reproducing, would be catastrophically worse than default. And the upside, giving birth to a few offspring of the next generation, is what they should expect anyway. And the interesting thing that this book brings up is that uh, what if these life history strategies differ not just across species, but across individuals of the same species? Specifically, what if this theory applied within the human population? The author suggests that these traits and predispositions to fast versus slow life history in general are caused by a gene slash environment by a gene to environment interaction. Which was like 
really fucking cool. It's it's fun to think about. Mm-hmm. And then the he goes on to make a very compelling case for that sort of thing. But mm-hmm. I do feel like it would be more like drawing an analogy, right? It's I don't think it makes sense to to say that you know some fish are slow uh, are slow. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think it would work for like fish, but I think it. He made a compelling point about the the human thing. Yeah, and yet, like, how could that possibly be the case if all of our ancestors, you know, were slow? Made well, they were slow comparative well, to to other things. But they weren't, though. He points out the case. Um, of, but we weren't having litters of a thousand. No, no, we weren't having litters of a thousand. But uh, some of us were rape, raping our way across Asia, for example. Right. Yeah. yeah no. It. He, he points out that you know lots of well, first of all, lots of women tend to find like violent males attractive, which is interesting. But yeah, uh, the violent criminals often have had sex multiple times before they hit twenty. I did click that link. That wasn't a that wasn't just a disappointing stereotype. Um, the I guess what I was getting at was like it's not even a theory. The observation that there are fast and slow reproducers, you can then I think model that into human behavior. But to say like what if it applies here? It's like I don't think it is a thing that applies here. But there's something to we can mo- use that sort of model for this. It's yeah, kind of a nitpick. It works better as an analogy than to say that these are you know. There's two discrete subtypes of human that we can Right. No, <laughs> no. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's subtypes of human at yeah. all. Well, there, there's strategies that people use. Yes. And they may or may not have a genetic component. But I, I'm also skeptical of the fact that they're, you know, like, what's the mechanism for this genetic component? They talk about epigenes and the mechanism looking around at the world and like... Well, I mean, that's fairly well accepted with things like if you don't have a lot of nutrition early in life you have more of a propensity to hoard what nutrition you do have and have a slow metabolism so you tend to obesity in in older age it's yeah it's tough and like addiction runs in families and stuff and yet like it's hard to say how much of that is just like you know being around drunk parents your whole life or something mm-hmm. but um well there, there's a lot of things that are only turned on if the right environmental factor is pressured into you right yeah, a lot of people have genes for schizophrenia, but it's not necessarily activated unless something happens. That said, there's a lot of woo surrounding epigenetics too. So yeah, there is. Google Google carefully and yeah. make sure if you talk to people that they know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. I had some ridiculous science teacher once. Well, she taught science. She wasn't a science teacher. I'm not going to give her that title. She was of the opinion she was also like a registered chiropractor i think of the same like original school of like i can align your energy and cure your cancer um chakras yeah basically <laughs> back, back chakras yeah um <laughs> but i had a friend who then died a couple years later he had a not cystic fibrosis it was something else it was some degenerative birth disorder mm-hmm. i was a small kid he was like 75 percent of my size and he died in his early 20s and i was talking to her about that because she was saying with epigenetics you can tune your environment and do whatever and i was like so you're gonna tell him that with diet exercise he can cure his his illness and live and she's like i asked him like i gave her a name and gave in front of the class i gave her his name and everything he didn't go to that school okay Uh, i knew him in high school so it didn't matter she was like oh yeah i think you know we we could talk about that i was like well then fuck fuck you you quack (laughs) so um anyway I, I'm not trying. That's, to... that's my rant on epigenetics, but there's real science there, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is some science with epigenetics. The thing is, I'm not trying to say it's genetic because my whole thesis with this episode is that culture is very important. Everything is at least slightly influenced by genetics, right? There is nothing that isn't influenced by genetics, but in my opinion, it's the culture that is the far more important thing. And I've just I've lately been reading a fair amount of books on um, the and more impoverished parts of the country. 
Uh, by a fair amount, I mean two, which is a lot of nonfiction for me. <laughs> I generally only read fiction. Uh, which are the two? Uh, one is On the Run, which is a story about living on the run from the cops, literally in inner America, inner city America. Uh, it's really fucking interesting. I I was having a hard time feeling sympathy for these people because they do it to themselves to some extent. There's like, yeah, they seem to act against their own interests. Yeah, I they they like they have a beef with a guy and they start shooting at each other. Like literally, they're just driving past each other in the street. They see him pull a gun, start shooting, and I'm like. Yeah, when the girl in the house across the street gets hit by your bullet, obviously you should go to jail for that. And even if no one gets hit, you shouldn't just be just start charging your guns in the street. I understand why the cops are after you. But on the other hand, they're driven to it because if they don't do that, then people will see that they're weak and abuse them and take their stuff and keep picking on them. There's this whole they have to maintain this facade of like, if you do something to slight me, I will come back with a lot of violence to you and... Oh, it's this horrible cycle of poverty and shit. Honor cultures, man. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not a recipe for happiness. I know. I mean, I'm I'm saying that from my comfortable position of not living there, but how happy can you be when you're afraid that somebody's going to shoot up your house or retaliate and kill your family or your, your friends or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. it's got to be a really high-stress environment. Yeah. I would think so. And it's really high-stress for all your family members because the police regularly raid your house, knock over all your shit, bust down your door looking for your son or your brother or your lover... And you didn't do anything, but the police know if they can keep putting pressure on you and making your life miserable, you'll try to get him to turn himself in or just, you know, turn him out and be like, look, you got to stay somewhere else. I'm sick of the police destroying my life. And it's the whole the whole thing is fucked up. Anyways. Um, well, what was book two? Uh, book two was, fuck, what was the name of it now? Days of, I think it was like Days of Destruction, Days of Revolt, something like that. And that one like just painted the grimmest ass picture of a life on a uh, Indian reservation. Oh, man. Uh, when did that take place? Uh, now. Modern? Contemporary. Yeah, it was... Dude, just the amount of drug abuse and drinking and child neglect and how no one has any future and they really just can't do anything about it. So what else are they going to do? Yeah, I, I know, crushing hopelessness. Yeah. I know a guy... Um, I mean, my brother met a guy in the military who uh, came from an Eden reservation and he was like, yeah, that is the worst place in the world. I am so glad for this opportunity to have gotten myself out. I met a guy when I went to the writers of the future for the one week in Los Angeles. He was also uh, came from an Indian reservation. His mom actually renounced her Indian, um, her tribal Indian status. Tribe, yeah, yeah. Status. Uh, and he, he works now in, in a drug rehab facility and he's like, got his life on point you know he but he still came from that and he talked about some of that shit and i'm like that is just i'm really fucking proud of you that you managed to pull yourself out of that and your mom because you know you couldn't have done it without her doing doing her part too yeah that's consistent with everything i hear about life there and it's one of those things to where like i don't know a, an untradable person could say that they've chosen that life for themselves too like anyone could just get up and walk away but <laughs> i mean no. A, it's a bit of a walk to like the next place, and B, nothing's that simple. No. You know, it. You've got ties. You've got you know your friends and family. You've got yeah. obligations. Well, and, and what are you going to do? Just walk into the city and be like, "Look, I've never held a job. I don't have a driver's license. Can yeah. I? Can I have an apartment and a job, please? Yeah, yeah, come on." And I mean, that's that's where I see like the fast life strategy thing making sense. You live in an unpredictable, dangerous environment. You aren't going to put that much effort into planning for the next 20, 40 years. You're much more concerned about, you know, just getting through the next month or two and living these more risky fast life strategies. 
Yeah, you might as well get teen pregnant yeah. and do some drugs because what else is going to make you happy or fulfilled? Right. What else is there to do? You might like, you know, have a kid that you can, uh, I mean, sometimes it's just, I don't care. I'm not using protection, whatever. But sometimes, you know, like this kid will give me some joy and some meaning in my life. And that's really my, my thing that I was going to drive at with this episode today is that culture is really fucking important. And it's I'm I'm not really that surprised with the culture wars being as virulent as they are because everyone seems to realize this on some level. I kind of feel like this is like the steel man of racism, that racists are looking at it wrong. They're like black people are dumb and violent, or you know Indians are all drunks or whatever because it's in their genes. Whereas the white genes are so much better. Look at what we've done with this country, right? Yeah, look at the Appalachians. Yeah, exactly. It's got nothing to do with genes. You've seen Neil deGrasse Tyson, right? There are tons of people with black genes that are successful and good, slow life strategy people. The problem is with culture. And when you're raised in that sort of culture, it's going to shape everything you do. Even if you do manage to get out of it, it'll it'll shape your life outlook for quite a while. And it's, it's self-perpetuating. So I, I, I kind of understand with like wanting to limit immigration a bit because it takes a while to assimilate different cultures, right? And I'm not saying they're necessarily bad. Like, every first-generation immigrant I've ever met has the most insane work ethic ever. My parents are first-generation immigrants. My dad, I basically never saw him and don't have a good relationship with him because he would work 12-hour days, weekdays, and like 10-hour days on weekends. There, there was never a time when I would see him. The I was married to a, um, a Hispanic girl, uh, my first marriage. Her dad was from Mexico, and he had the same thing. He managed to uh, create his own company. Uh, same as my dad, because he just worked all the goddamn time to provide for his family. So there's a very strong work ethic. But I can also see people being scared that, like, we don't want our culture tainted that much because culture is very important and it takes a while to assimilate people into cultures. I've got a lot to respond to there because you said a lot of things, but yeah. I'll pick an easy one first. And okay. that's, do you think the, the intense work ethic from many first generation immigrants comes from, like, the fact, like, hey, if I don't make it here, they're going to send me home and home sucked. That's why I'm here. Not necessarily. I think it's more of an innate thing because my parents were here um, on the in the eighties. There was the whole Cold War going on, mm -hmm. so they uh, they came from a Soviet country, so they got refugee status. You know, they were in for as long as they didn't like commit any felonies or anything. But no, they just wanted a better life. They were tired of living how it was back then, and they wanted their children to have more. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I I can I can dig that. Now, you know, it's a drag I mean, that has the downside of like. I want my kids to have more. I won't see them until they're 30, but right. um, I wanted to mention... Uh, and there's plenty of hardworking, you know, American... It's not just immigrants that work hard. There's right. plenty of Americans that work hard, too. Right. Yeah. Did you happen to listen to uh, episode 144, the newest episode of Sam Harris's podcast, Conquering Hate? Yes. Yeah. So this is this is related. Um, he had uh, Dia Khan on, and uh, she made some good documentaries, which I'm planning on seeing because they're on Netflix. But they talked about how because she, she went to like uh what was one of them called white right she went to like the charlottesville riots and stuff with the nazis and she's she's a muslim immigrant she was there they knew she was making a documentary and stuff but her whole thing was i would almost call it an absurd level of reaching across the aisle right. um, <laughs> and to try and humanize people and talk with them and whatever but mostly your your average run-of-the-mill racist asshole isn't your stereotypical standard racist asshole they're for the most part making arguments of like you know, no, it's genetic or, you know, no, it's, it's, it's not me. Uh, they're couching it in like these, these positions of kind of like what you were saying, the steel man of, of, of racism. And, and you certainly weren't either. I don't think endorsing that it was accurate, but that's, yeah. that's where they're coming from. Um, 
I wish and I so, could just grab racists and be like, it's not about the genetics, you stupid motherfucker. It's about the culture. And you, you know, would be the same way if you were raised in that. Maybe I'll ask a racist at some point, like what they actually think, because I don't know. I guess I don't know any racists who have any actual genetic knowledge. I only know like three racists. My uh, dad's a racist. So, huh? <laughs> My dad's a racist. Oh, really? He absolutely wouldn't couch it either in the, uh, well, I don't know. Um, I think he would actually make the genetic argument. I don't so, know if he like understands genetics. He wouldn't call it that, but he would just say there's something about them that makes them worse or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah. You know, some people are born this way, and then some aren't. Hmm. I feel like that's what my dad would say too. And yet, like, he's not educated in genetics either. But I, I don't really know. I guess it'd be interesting to have a talk with somebody where this didn't fall apart in three minutes. Like, I don't know. I was I was reflecting on this lately because, um, not that I don't have enough racist friends, but that uh, <laughs> uh, that like I think i have one muslim friend and he's not a practicing muslim and then i was thinking like is that like bigoted should i reach out more and i was like well i have like you know two dozen friends and i can't think of any religious friends i have let me rephrase that i I, after digging i thought of i have one christian friend and one jewish friend and i don't think the jewish friend is actually a practicing jew uh or like he's a practicing jew i don't think he's a believing jew Mm -hmm. so i was like okay my lack of muslim friends doesn't mean that like i i i I should probably have more friends in the first place, but I don't think it's like I'm, I'm weeding people out. It's that I just don't know. It's not like there's a big Muslim population in the area. There kind of is. They're... I mean, I live three minutes from a mosque, but like, okay. I guess how am I going to make friends? Like just walk up and talk to people? That sounds scary. <laughs> right. I don't do that in real life. Like I'm not going to go try to make friends. Um, I guess what I came to is that I, I somehow live in a bubble where I have like no religious friends, even though most people in the country are religious. The dark matter conservative world. Yeah, I love that. This is sort of how I think about concert or what, young earth creationists or something mm-hmm. where he, he, there's like a one, he did this fun, this is a slate star codex post where he talked about like the absurd math of like the sheer odds of the, what a couple hundred people he knew or something. Mm-hmm. You know, none of them were young earth creationists, but they make up like 40% of Americans. So he's like, the odds of this happening by chance are vanishingly small. So what the hell is going on here? Yeah, Do you remember which one that was? Um, I'm sure if we looked up dark matter and creationist. All right. We'll find it and put a link to codex. it because it's, it's a fun one. Yeah. I did want to say that kind of a counter argument to your still man of racism. <laughs> Please. <laughs> of, uh, you know, the concept of we shouldn't bring immigrants in because they're going to dilute the American culture. Um, well, not that we shouldn't bring them in. Well, that yeah, we should be like. I can see how some people might want to throttle it. I think I think you're. I and think also, there's a temptation that I, I, had, to, I had to resist to breathe yeah. life into your steel man argument. Yeah. I think you're understanding the position i'm not sure what your if your what your endorsements are what your actual convictions are um but like if that was an actual threat i would be worried but i think we have over like what 300 million people in the u.s and taking a few tens of thousands of immigrants every year isn't going to alter that that much just to be clear i didn't mean i didn't mean to cut you off i just wanted to make sure that you weren't standing up like here's why i'm here's why racist arguments are valid I, no uh, yeah no, but i mean i, I just wanted i didn't want to let this I didn't would be like why to... someone could be against open borders and still be a good person i just didn't want to let anyone quote mine and take this the wrong way so I yeah that, that, that was a good clarification I, I actually understood that as just literally here's an, a steel man of this position not this is my position <laughs> but uh like how did the quakers do it though the quakers sort of aren't around but i think their ideas were just so good and worked so well that they managed to propagate when the, you know, maybe I'm biased, but they're the sustainable ones, right? If you browbeat and burn all your time in, in penance and church and whatever, and you're 
bad parents, whatever you're going to weed out. If you're, I mean, the if borderers you're, if you're, are still around too. Basically, we have an entire subculture of that in the U.S. We yeah. do, but but they're not like flourishing. They're, they're not. Maybe, or let me let me think of flourishing. They're not the. Maybe they are. That's why I said maybe I'm biased. But I'm. They got maybe, Trump into office. Maybe there's, yeah. Maybe there's there's two mimetically fit ways to survive, and one is to like kick ass and take names, and the other one is to say like, hey, look, here's here's who we are. Here's whatever the the the, the passive not pacifist per se, but the the elitist yeah i don't know elitist even sounds different but i just the here's the culture here's here's all the cool stuff we can do when we settle down and build things don't you guys want some of this too yeah. we can give you the tools for it huh that's a slow strategy yeah, exactly. settle down Basically and build talking things. about fast and slow and yeah, that's you, my point yeah, you're never. right yeah that neither of them evolutionarily or, or evolutionarily speaking they're both successful strategies it depends on your circumstances whether you're in an unpredictable environment or a predictable stable environment yeah, so I wouldn't actually say maybe that the Quakers were more mimetically fit. So what did they do that won, though? I think they made society more stable yeah. so that their slow-life strategy was more fit. Yeah, if you change the environment. And, of course, like that's not an easy thing to do. No. <laughs> that would be great, you know, run for office. I'm going to change everything see... and make it better. But now we see that our goal is to make society more stable, right? Well, and they did too. They founded the country with with the idea of keeping, you know, a monarchy at bay. And but we don't uh, want any general chaoses, is what I'm saying. <laughs> right. Keep things predictable, stable. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, it's it's nice and relaxing to ha- be able to have a plan, right? I mean, you know, a microcosmic example of this that some people might be able to relate to is like having a work schedule that isn't eight to five, and you get your work schedule sometimes a few days before you go before your shift starts. Mm-hmm. So like. You know, hey, are you free? You know, next Saturday? Oh, I don't know yet. Schedule's not posted till Monday. Yeah. So, like, just even that little level of like, you can't plan for stuff. And I know this is like the dumbest example when we're talking about the the stakes involved. But I'm trying to think of something that the average person can relate to. And having had a fairly stable life in a fairly progressive area, um, I guess very progressive area. I don't know. Um, Denver, man. Denver Denver is very progressive. Is it? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I mean, compared to the compared to the hellscapes of you know the Appalachian, whatever. Well, yeah. The, uh, Even so, compared to, I think, the average city in the United States. Probably. Okay. Um, but in any case, uh, th- that's like the the smallest examples of just like the kind of uncertainty you get when not being able to plan stuff. And so, if your if your life is that chaotic, then things are stressful and weird, right? So, mm-hmm. um, there was a whole other thing here about the four strategies that we see commonly and maybe in a future episode we'll get to those because they're really fun and i would like to talk about them but i think i covered basically what i wanted to and we're at a good point here to move on to the less wrong or whatever yeah unless you had any final thoughts jess no this is a good spot and yeah we should um save the four categories for later because there's a lot to talk about here you can, can kind of map them onto Ninja turtles too <laughs> can map them onto all kinds of things yeah okay less wrong posts let's do it all righty our first one was policy debates should not appear one-sided, which I know we've talked about explicitly at least twice. So we can, I'm, I want to go over it again because it's one of the best posts. Well, it's hard to pick the best. If I was making a list of top 10, it would definitely make it. Let's put it that way. Agreed. Nice. And um, it, it's really relevant. Yeah. It's really relevant. Even, it was relevant more than two years ago, though, too, before everything went crazy and policy debates were super one-sided. So the idea is that uh, Robin Hansen had this kind of thought experiment of the black the black market store or something Bans, the band thing store that's right yeah we've talked about this more than once on the podcast yeah, yeah. and so 
Um, the idea you can go in and buy guns, poisons, whatever, fake drugs, real drugs, anything. Things that have been... I, I'm not sure about guns necessarily. Not things that are illegal, but things that have been banned for, you know, safety reasons or whatever. Things that would protect you from yourself. Yes. Anything, any law that's designed to protect you from yourself, you could go ahead and buy it at the store. Cool. Like, you couldn't go in there and buy rocket launchers. I'm pretty sure that's why I can't have a rocket launcher, right? <laughs> no, that's to protect other people from you. All right, fair enough. Yukowski just pointed out that some poor, honest, not overwhelmingly educated mother of five is going to walk into one of these stores and buy a Dr. Snake Oil sulfuric acid drink for arthritis and die, leaving her orphans to weep on national television. People took this as, like, a, I'm against this for this reason. Yeah. Here's my heart-wrenching example, thought experiment of why this is a bad idea. And I'm not sure if this is Eliezer at this point when he made that, that argument failing to model other humans or just maybe his audience or maybe it was deliberate setup to make this awesome post. I have no idea. Right. Um, yeah, I'd lean more towards the latter. Me too. He's playing one level higher than us, right? So <laughs> his thing was like, no, I was making a simple factual observation. Why do some people think this was an argument in favor of regulation? Right. It's like, well, because you're talking about orphans and dead, you know, dead nice moms and stuff. Yeah. This yeah. is this is the line that eh, maybe top five slogans of the, of the sequences. It might be politics is the mind killer. Arguments are soldiers. The costs and drawbacks of your favorite policy are enemy soldiers to be attacked by any means necessary. This is, so pointing out that your policy, even if you really like it, has a drawback is something you can't do. You must attack that. Yeah. And the, I mean, you see this if you make any argument that, and we've talked about this before, and I know I keep saying that and then talking about it again, but I'll stop apologizing then for talking about it again. <laughs> I'm trying to think of anything that I haven't used before, you know, guns or drugs, um, speed limits. What's what's that? Like a energy supplement that might give you a heart attack. I guess that's a drug. No, but that's that's a good example because like ephedra has been banned on and off. It seems like a few times in this country, and there's still some form of legal way to get it. But yeah, basically people take enough and their hearts would explode and they would die. So someone who's in favor of that might say, "Look, it gives me energy. I understand the danger." And uh, I'm trying to find a good argument to shoot in the back here i guess i'm saying like yeah sure have it but somebody's gonna get killed right yeah for all the people that are actually using it in the correct dosage and cycling it and whatever you might have to do there's people that are taking it with five other things with like coffee and then like two beers and then going to the gym and (laughs) grinding it up and snorting it (laughs) yeah you can't stop them i mean they make i remember what years ago they were selling a crystallized caffeine on thinkgeek.com where you could buy all those cool nerdy things yeah they sold a lot of caffeine related products which is cool because you know nerds are tired and we need all the caffeine we can get but i, I was <laughs> it, just thinking it got to the point where it was abusive well that's my point is like the first time when i saw the the, the salt shaker full of caffeine crystals, <laughs> i'm like some kid is going to post a video of himself crushing that and doing a line of it on youtube oh, and you know when it comes out that three minutes later that kid died they're going to take this thing off the market mm-hmm. was the first thing i thought of I don't think I'm arguing against or in favor of regulation there. I was just pointing out that like some kid's going to die doing this. Yeah. Um, it was a much less sophisticated version. It wasn't even related. It was just the thought that like, yeah, some kid's going to die taking that stuff. There are some people that are way too proud of their caffeine habit. And I'm like, dude, it's a problem. Don't be that proud of it. I've never been, I guess I've met those people. Yeah, it's like, I need my three cups in the morning. I, I definitely yeah. know that guy, actually. I'm thinking of one guy at work. But I happen to have a caffeine dependency. I'm not proud of it. It's just like, it sucks, but I need to, I need, when next long vacation, I'll get, I'll wean myself off of it like I always do. But that's just how it goes after the months at work. It's like, all right, you know, one caffeine pill, one extended release caffeine pill used to be enough. Now it's a cup of green tea in the morning too. All right, now it's a cup of of black tea in the morning and a cup of of green tea at lunch. And 
Now it's now it's two tea bags of chai in the morning. Progressing up the colors of tea. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Eliezer basically says, "Well, he he asks in the post, why do we want our policy debates to be one-sided?" And actually answers it like because we didn't evolve to go into political discussions rationally. That's not how our brains work. Um, I remember this being pretty eye-opening for me when I first read it, because previously, if someone had asked, I would have said, "Of course, policy debates should be one-sided because they're the same as questions of fact." After all, you can do science on policy, propose a new policy idea, defend it with evidence of how well a similar policy worked before, lay out the pros and cons, and then make a rational choice. Then you can do it and study it and see how well it's doing, and then maybe update in favor of it, of keeping it or changing it. But of course, Eliezer's right here. First of all, most people would just never think of policy as something that can or should be treated like science. And I wish I could remember the name of it. I was trying to google this before the show but scott had wrote an essay about um this thought experiment where what if we divided elections into the fun elections which are about status things like you know which colors do we get to wear and who gets to like be on tv and then like about like serious policy things and uh like you pointed out a lot of policy is actually about determining which side gets the status and the respect instead of what is the best uh choice here or like you know what is going to benefit the most number of people which side is right can be a matter of which values and ethics you have. You know, who you think deserves respect. You can't really study that. I like that uh, Eliezer also pointed out in this post that there's some people that will think that, well, you just you just got to be tough. If someone went ahead and got that and then died from it, it's their own damn fault. They shouldn't have been so stupid. They were using a dangerous product. They didn't do their research. They deserve to get hurt. And Eliezer says that saying that is not being tough-minded. I've definitely heard that argument in real life. Yeah. When, whenever people talk about, you know, the downside of guns is that people use them to get killed. Right. Or let me rephrase that. People get killed on accident or they kill somebody else on purpose. And it's, or, you know, if someone is being an idiot, I can think of interesting examples. But well, actually, this, this is a good one. I can't dig it up because I wouldn't even know what to Google. But it was somebody... The passenger was taping it. They were driving back from like a, a they picked up their guns and they're waving them around the car. And oh this was God. like, you know, fuck you, Obama kind of stuff. Oh, no. And the person <laughs> shot some. I forget whether the driver was brandishing the gun and shot the passenger. or The passenger shot the driver. But I think they crashed. And I'm not sure they must have lived because someone posted the video. So someone might someone definitely would have said about that incident. Well, they're just fucking dumb. They deserved it. And I'm sorry, but I wanted to deject that this isn't a straw man. This isn't a, or this is a, an argument yeah. that real people make all the time. Yeah, right. I would even. I've heard this a lot too. Yeah, I, I know some people who, if you told them the dead mom story, they would be like, well, you know, that was her fault. Like, mm -hmm. not my problem. Yeah, she, she didn't read the warnings or whatever. And it's kind of like, you, you do have to have some empathy for people up to a point. You don't know their story. Yeah, those like, stupid orphans should have been smarter and had a better, had a smarter mom, right? Yeah, they specifically <laughs> said, like, this is an un uneducated woman. She's probably, like, impoverished. Like, again, I don't know what her backstory is or whatever, but, like, she's in pain from arthritis and she didn't know which thing to take. Yeah, Eliezer says that is not being tough-minded. That's just closing your eyes and refusing to live in an unfair universe, pretending that it is fair, that they deserved it, right? That uh, real tough-mindedness is saying, yes, sulfuric acid is a horrible, painful death, and no, that mother of five didn't deserve it, but we're going to keep the shops open anyway because we did this cost-benefit calculation. And he asks, can you see a politician saying that? <laughs> <laughs> and no, I cannot. Because it's really hard to say, yes, this person died, and they didn't deserve it, and it's horrible. But the benefits outweigh the cost of that person dying, and people like them dying occasionally. Yeah. That is... How the hell do you say that, like, in front of cameras? You would be eviscerated. 
Well, and he he puts a finer point on this and for a real life example in the next post with speed limits. And it's, you know, I'm, I think the speed limit between here and Fort Collins, which I take at least once a month, is 75 miles an hour when you get to like the real part of the interstate not going through the city. I pass an accident at least half the trips. I usually travel oh. more on the holidays and then I'll, I've, I've passed three or four on the same trip especially when it's snowy out or something, right? Mm-hmm. If, if it was against a lot of manufactured cars that went over 50 miles an hour, accidents would, would plummet. Mm-hmm. And yet that would never fly, right? Because we've, we've done this, we as in nobody, has done this cost-benefit analysis of saying we'd rather go faster than live longer. The market has yeah. decided. Yeah, I guess, right? As the next essay would say. Okay. Yeah, that's that's actually, yeah, good point. Actually, before we move on to the next one, can I quote his ending lines in this one which i found just inspirational as all fuck absolutely i didn't want to push push on and i i had one more thing to say on this too before yeah. the last line which i still was... wanted to talk about this one yeah okay, I, okay, I, cool. I just saw a good I thought we were moving on i saw a good teaser there sorry all right no problem um just to, to re re hit that beat of you know people who who buy dangerous products are stupid and deserve to get hurt isn't tough-minded that's refusing to, to deal with living in an unfair universe I mean, if, if that landed right away and everyone got it, then good. It took me a couple of readings to like really have that that sink in. That like you're right. If I feel like it's okay because that happened, I'm I'm not really facing it. That's pretending that the universe is just. Yeah, and maybe it was when I read the next post that it because it, that's the that's the whole next post is about that point. Yeah, like, I think the, it's kind of protecting yourself too. Like, oh well, I, that could never happen to me because I would never be that stupid. Right. Yeah. That that too, and and protecting yourself emotionally from the fact that like. You know, if you acknowledge how bad things are, then it hurts, right? Yeah, Um, like that could have been my mom. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, not the same as this mom of five dying of sulfuric acid poisoning, but my grandma got scammed by some computer con artist a couple years ago. Only like 160 bucks, but that's a very substantial part of her income or of her her money. And I was furious. I'm not a violent person, but I I had fantasies about like tying this person to a chair and breaking their legs like this was just someone defrauded my poor old grandmother she's in her 80s she hasn't and how do you how do you justify that to yourself i'm just gonna steal this money from this grandma it's fucked up yeah yeah all right sorry so (laughs) i think you say oh she was stupid enough to fall for my scam (sighs) that's enough to push a grandma into a fast reproductive strategy <laughs> That's enough to make me give you a sidelong look, even though you just all you did was was model them correctly. I think Jess, I'm like fuck you for a second. <laughs> but that's that's a job well done, and I I've already forgiven you because I, I I realized you were just making a very good point. I won't make fun of your grandma again. <laughs> Thank you. She's she's a sweetheart. Even pretending to be a scammer. Um, yeah, I, I have to admit I struggle with the ethics of permissiveness. While it seems obvious that there should be laws preventing people from harming others, I've really like swung back and forth throughout my life about whether it's right to have laws protecting people from themselves. I mean, seatbelts is a great example. That's the one I was going to bring up, too. There's a seatbelt law, and if you don't wear your seatbelt, basically the only person who's going to suffer is you. But there's still a law about it. I worked in volunteer EMS for a couple of years, and I started working right at the point where seatbelt technology had gotten really good. The people that had been uh, in EMS for a really long time kept commenting on how fewer uh, deaths there were or like really terrible injuries. I, I hadn't seen it before, but it used to be. Before? Yeah, the, the technology got a lot better and a lot of things, a lot of technology in cars got better. But it's just a belt. How is that whole hard technology? There's engineering. Hmm. And uh, Wait, was it this podcast or was it something else I was listening to about how uh, seat belts were designed by like men of like average stature and it turns out that if they're going around a woman's form when they but the older models would just like snap their necks oh not fuck. not every time but it was it was way more likely because none of the ca- crash test dummies had a female figure that certainly wasn't um, 
our podcast. No, you're right. I'm thinking this was on Reddit somewhere. Okay. Yeah, I hadn't heard that, although it makes perfect sense. I'm like 5'3", and seatbelts don't fit me correctly. For a while, I had to wear one of those like completely humiliating things that adjusts your seatbelt smaller. <laughs> but now I just have a Korean car, and it's... <laughs> Problem <great>. solved. <laughs> what was I talking about? When I think about it from a personal perspective, I'd still like to have someone out there smarter than me making guidelines. Like scientists say, this food is unhealthy and recommend not eating it for these reasons. And then I could read the paper and choose what to do for myself. Right. You but could go for to the banned food store. Yeah, for that to be an effect- effective method, you have to have access to the scientists' recommendations and the education necessary to understand why you should listen to them. Which goes back to the whole unfairness of it all, because you can make a law banning the Dr. Snakey snake oil. Or you could have lots of warnings on the label. They brought that up in the essay, too. This might kill you, and they might train the staff in the store to, like, I really recommend against you taking this for these reasons, but... This is also why we need to avoid label creep. Like, if you start putting a label for everything, people just stop paying attention to labels because it doesn't give you any information. I, I that In my opinion, that's the one really good argument against slapping this is a GMO labels on things because... It doesn't matter, and it makes all the other labels less valuable. Like nowadays, when you buy a prescription bottle, do you look at any of the labels at all? Yes. Okay. Most people don't. We're, yeah, no, because... we're savvy consumers, but the rest of it, I mean, yeah, on I, average. I don't. Like every single medication causes dizziness. Yes, I know. Why is that a label on this thing? Especially because in 98% of people, it doesn't actually cause dizziness. Yeah. I was going to use the GMO example thing, too, because it... it dilutes yeah the yeah. yeah exactly once once you get the feeling that most of these labels are inapplicable and are just kind of there because of bureaucracy and to cover someone's ass you stop paying attention to them yeah i do agree with that i think the point this essay is trying to make is that in the course of raising the sanity waterline we need to recognize and not flinch from the fact that the far greater benefits of promoting of individual liberty doesn't cancel out the fact that there will still be costs which will include sad things like dead moms but the dead mom example does really upset me, which I think was the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it makes me kind of mad that we as a species get so busy fighting about politics that we prevent ourselves from trying to do better. Taking the banned item store example, I could imagine a world where the blue and the green party are fighting over, like, harmful things should be banned, and individual liberty must be promoted. And meanwhile, the uneducated dead mom never had a chance because she was uneducated. And we actually live in a world where harmful things are banned, but you can still choose to kill yourself by going to a faith healer or using homeopathic medicine instead of opting to use science-based medicine. And maybe if politicians really cared about preventing dead moms, they'd be focusing on making education and science-based healthcare more accessible. That's something I could see a politician saying with a bit of politicizing to the, the phrasing, right? Yeah. Like <laughs> you'd we, have to change the science-based medicine, probably. We, you know, consumer protection through education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're not going to tell you guys what to do. We're going to just tell you what we know. And we're going to institute programs that will better our schools, flags, children, Bibles, I don't know. Um, all the other stuff politicians say. But no, I like that analysis a lot. I, I feel like I put myself down, but it's really not. I, I'm i not uh, an in-depth enough reader to have gotten that deep of an analysis out of it. So I appreciated that. Thank you. Well, I had to think about it a lot, too. <laughs> because I just kept going back to the dead mom example and why it bothered me. And then I had to tease that out. What was your badass quote you wanted to shut on or okay. close this one on? He ends, uh, Eliezer ends this saying, it's not always helping people to save them from the consequences of their own actions, but I draw a moral line of capital punishment. If you're dead, you can't learn from your mistakes. Unfortunately, the universe doesn't agree with me. We'll see which one of us is still standing when this is over. <laughs> I, I like, liked that one a lot, that too. That is such a badass Harry Potter James Evans Vera sort of <laughs> quote. I love that ending. I think um, when I was 
learning moral philosophy and trying to decide what my opinions were on things. And I've shot, you know, I've showed you lots of them since, but one of them was, was capital punishment. I didn't really have a good grounding on like to me as a kid, it kind of made sense. Like let's kill the bad people. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was in my late twenties, I think I was sufficiently utilitarian to be against it. But this, this might've given me my one sentence. Uh, and I've used this sentence to target against capital, capital punishment in the last few years or in the whatever years since I've read this, which is like, if, if you're dead, you can't get better. Prison system aside, whatever, you know, how bad it is, how expensive, whatever. If there's no hope for you to ever become a better person, that's the most, that's the biggest tragedy there is, right? So, speaking of tragic universes, Birch's Law is our next less wrong post. All right. Uh, the law is a quote from a guy named Birch. He was talking about SUVs. He says, I think people should have a right to be stupid. And if they have that right, the market's going to respond by supplying as much stupidity as can be sold. Eliezer says, Birch's Law is a special case of a more general rule. Just because your ethics require an action doesn't mean the universe will exempt you from the consequences. If the universe were fair, like a sympathetic human, the universe would understand that you had overriding ethical reasons for your action and would exempt you from the usual penalties. The judge would say justifiable homicide instead of murder and exempt you from the usual prison term. Well, the universe isn't fair and won't exempt you from the consequences. That was always my thing. And this this is kind of maybe part of the transhumanist manifesto but the the punishments seem to really outweigh the crimes in the universe for one second i was checking my phone and then i get plowed over by a bus like that's hardly fair i'm usually very attentive right or you know i'm a peasant in the 16th century who hasn't invented the smallpox vaccine (laughs) now i get to die of smallpox yeah thanks universe it's just that the 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 punishment scale is so severe mm-hmm. in reality 1.0 that I, I like the, the inspirational message from the last one. Like, all right, fine. We'll see which one of us is still here. Yeah. It's also decoupled from, to some extent, what you did wrong. I mean, like in a just universe, there would be karma as well, where if you did good things, good things would happen and <laughs> bad things, bad things would happen. But yeah, that would be dope. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to some extent it does, but only to the extent that you're either like, you know, building things that pay you back later or, you know, doing good things. And then the people that you helped are helping you in return and vice versa. But like the, only to an extent. Yeah. yeah. The universe isn't doing any of that and it doesn't care, you know, what you did while no one's watching. Yeah. Right. No, that's a good point. And if, if the people are around, like you said, I... There was somebody, uh, somebody I know who was, he's been wheelchair bound for 35 years. He's got limited use of his hands, like enough to be online and I think do some online gaming, but he was driving a drunk friend home mm. and uh, got hit by, I think somebody who, you know, ran a red light or something, whatever it was like this guy went out to go stop his friend from driving drunk and he's been in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. God damn. Um, yeah. So it should be nice if like, instead of that, he like found $50 the next day. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But or yeah. something commensurate to being hit by a bus, like something really awesome. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, right. So I mean, I guess I was trying to think of. I mean, I was thinking of something commensurate to like picking up a friend, right? Right. So, um, yeah, it'd be kind of cool if I don't know. He realized he was whatever sitting on top of an oil well or something. I do uh, like that the example he picked is where we were literally just talking about people have a right to be stupid. We cannot interfere with everyone's lives to that extent. And then the very next post is pointing out. Yeah, if you really believe that and you're going to stick to your ethical principles, the market's going to sell people all these SUVs. Or homeopathic remedies. Or homeopathic remedies, yeah. Like, you you can't escape the consequences of sticking with your ethical views here. Yeah. As much as you don't want it to result in homeopathy, that's what you're going to get. So... 
Well, that's why Make we sure should... you're good with those ethics. Yeah, that's why we should have classes in school that <laughs> teach you that homeopathy doesn't work and that faith healing doesn't work. And this is, you know, they don't explicitly do that. Maybe they do now. They probably don't. They no, don't. They My, do at least, it, yeah, it depends. Maybe if you get a nice private school education or something, but... Um, I feel like private school tends like, to... teach you about every single thing that is going to be predating on ignorance like that. There's just too many of but them. But school... That's what they're supposed to do. Who who knew about Nigerian prince scams when we were in school, right? We know about them now. Yeah, I mean, you do know about them now, but... Well, they should I might have gotten that. some cursory guarding against internet scams when I was in school. Oh, did you? If I, I did like, don't talk to strangers. I got it from, <laughs> I got it from somewhere. Okay. Um, the internet wasn't really a big thing yet when I was in school. No, Certainly, I, there were no Nigerian princes yet. It was budding when I was in school, too. I, I mean, there, there was... Uh, this was... Right around the birth of Wikipedia, maybe. So, in any case, um, yeah, I'm torn on this, right? So, like, here's the here's a good another good quote to pull out here, which was like, "We don't send automobile manufacturers to jail, even though manufactured cars kill an estimated 1.2 million people a year per year worldwide, roughly two percent of and of the death rate." If you're gonna do the, the the response from the first post, you know, well, those idiots should drive better. He very quickly points out. Not everyone who dies in an automobile accident is someone who decided to drive the car. The tally of casualties includes pedestrians. It includes passengers. It includes the people you hit in the other cars, right? So, like, really all you and I are guilty of if we get hit by a car is being dumb enough to live in a society that has cars. And that's to really try and, you know, swallow the pill of, well, all the victims are stupid is getting harder and harder as the bodies pile up, right? Um, We have so many cars in America because we value individual freedom so much. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Sensible it, countries have trains. Yeah, he he has this line in here. He's like, well, oh yeah, it includes minor children who had to be pushed screaming into a car on the way to school. Um, he's good at you know dr- driving home those emotional beats, but he says, and yet we still manufacture automobiles because well we're in a hurry. And uh, you're right. It should be nice if we had you know easy access to transportation or something. In fact, even in Denver, they're raising the rates for the light rail. Not much, but it's going to be oh, like uh, seven or eight bucks. For a day pass instead of what five eighty, so almost the cost of a lift, uh, or a little a little under the cost of a of a car. Um, but uh, that's just kind of an aside. That well, you you would you would be nice if it was going the other way, and we're getting more towards free transportation. That's again, I like how how even he is here. Quote: I don't even disagree with this decision to drive cars. Yeah, I drive a car myself. The point is that the consequences don't change no matter how good the ethical justifications sound. People who died in automobile accidents are still dead. End quote. I guess I'm I'm now more hemming and hawing on this the distinction you brought up from the last post. Like it super pisses me off that I could be killed because someone else says I have the right to be an idiot, right? Right. Like, cool, you have you can buy all the homeopathy you want, but you shouldn't be allowed to drive a car that's big enough to, you know, kill three cars with the people in front of you on the highway, and yet you are. Yeah, the comments of this less wrong post kind of devolved for a bit into an argument about whether SUVs are <laughs> specific, like particularly unethical. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about the safety. I know that all I know is that my fiance drives a Forester, and when my previous car was totaled by a Forester, the guy who hit me like cracked his license plate cover, and he was he was completely fine. I don't think he needed to take his car to the shop, and my car was destroyed. So that SUV seems like a great safety choice for him. Um, not so great for me. I turned out to be fine because he had the back of my car, but I, I know this is like the essence of like liberty. So we're not going to solve this dilemma at, at, at the end of our show, but I don't really know 
how to come down the John Stuart Mill's, you know, on Liberty quote was my freedom, my freedom to swing my fist ends where your face begins. It sure is nice when you put it that neatly, but if I don't know where my fist is and I can't quite see your face, how do I know if what I'm doing is impacting other people? Right. Yeah. Um, Who's to blame? Yeah. Is it the car manufacturers? Is it um, the civil engineers who didn't design the roads to be as safe as they could be? Is it the individual driver? So you put the blame where you can, and if the driver was clearly doing something wrong, then you blame them. If the car was defective, you blame the manufacturer. So the um, fact that fucking God put us in these flimsy meat suits instead of indestructible golem God damn bodies. It, God. <laughs> if, we, if we could take God to court, we certainly would have by now, right? Yeah. Um, yes, I guess the the takeaway is to take it easy until you can upgrade out of your, your flimsy meat suit and get some cool, shiny metal suit. Or at least we get self-driving cars. Yeah, that's the shorter term goal, maybe. <laughs> Self-driving cars, get Trains. that death rate way down. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So who is Greg Birch? There's a link no in, in the post, which leads to an empty This Domain May Be For Sale page. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming he's a guy who had a blog at some point. We should jump on that domain. <laughs> yeah, and I, I also don't see this one brought up very much, especially compared to the post we talked about before. The debate shouldn't be one-sided. Uh, why do you think that is? Like, usually th- when things have a cool name, like Birch's Law, they get brought up i have no idea i think because he coined it and it didn't take off hmm. well he coined a lot of things which it did take off yeah but this you one just maybe really didn't know. catch traction yeah which also, one will or won't and like this one's not as succinct as some of the other things right like people have a right to be stupid and if they do the market's going to respond by supplying as much stupidity as can be sold that's pretty succinct actually it's succinct to like us but it's not as succinct as like occam's razor or um you know hanlon's razor or something that you can summarize to a non-rationalist and you know they don't have to understand markets or anything like that right even in the rationality sphere i don't see this one brought up though that's true and maybe because it's really depressing to think maybe that you stick to your principles and the market's still gonna fuck you because it doesn't matter yeah it could just be random too which things ended up right getting quoted he does end it with saying, we can suspend the jail penalty, but we can't suspend the laws of physics. Humanity hasn't much hasn't had much luck suspending the laws of economics either, which is a bit of a recurring theme throughout the sequences, that economics is pretty darn important, and we understand a fair bit of it, and you aren't going to stop economic things from happening. Yeah. Like, the market supplying stupidity, if you allow that. And maybe it's not a good idea to either. There might be an argument to be made that the positive externalities of having cars outweighs the negative. I don't know that I, you know, I wouldn't endorse that, <laughs> but I haven't done the math. I almost would. I don't know. I only know at my office anyway, one person who walks to work. No, it used to be two. So maybe there's, you know, the 200 people that work in my, it, well, maybe 3% of them walk to work, right? Well, all of but, us own cars, right? Yeah. Well, except for actually one of them doesn't because oh, he, okay. like, so I, I live near work. Yeah. So yeah. he lives near work. He lives near a store. So he's got his stuff figured out. But yeah, the rest of us have cars. And one large benefit is that like I can work somewhere that's more than a few miles away. Yeah. We have mobility. Yeah. And I think anyone who owns a car has kind of revealed <laughs> where they fall on this. Well, what you do and what you want might be different, right? Mm-hmm. I don't want to keep us going here, but like. I have a car because it would be radically inconvenient for me not to. Right. And not not because I think that they're great and everyone should have them, but because... You're it would... willing to risk your own death and the death of others for the convenience it provides, especially because it's such a small risk. Yeah. Okay. And I try to mitigate <laughs> that risk as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. I do try to be a good driver. Um, that's Driving's one of those things that for some reason feels like an intensely personal thing to attack somebody on the <laughs> on their skill of, of how good they are. Okay. Like, if you t- it, well, no, I think that I couldn't dig this up. It's been 10, 15 years since I've read this, but attacking someone's ability to drive is taken like deeply personally like 
like huh. attacking like their sense of fashion or their, their like, intelligence their, or their intelligence it's like wow. if you say you're a bad driver people take that personally like like you have a bad sense of humor you have a bad taste sense of beauty or something on the flip side uh everyone rates themselves as being an above average driver that's exactly yeah that's that's on the same side not even right people think that they're great at it and because if they're if they're not they see that as like a personal attack that's weird yeah anyway our less wrong posts for next time are the scales of justice the notebook of rationality that's one and blue or green on regulation and we will have links for it at the com, like we always do listener feedback on the last post, uh, not last post, last episode that we aired uh, was, what did you call it? Uh, truth and Winning. Truth and Winning, yeah. Got, we got a fair bit of feedback on that one. Delind, 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 I'm not sure, posted, We're somewhat like the capes from Worm. Our triggering events, usually related to losing religion and or having strained family relationships, happened in our childhoods. Speaking of rationalists. Losing that source of ha- easy happiness, we managed to not join or be expelled by many other communities, sowing in the seeds of introversion and the distrust of the authority. Whatever powers we got, they cut both ways. Seeing all the inadequacies and not being able to enact change on anything but the smallest systems is basically a form of psychological torture. There's a reason for our community lacking LSOABs. I don't know what that is. And having uh, That was the um, lucky sons of bitches. Ah, and having plenty of people struggling with depression. Also not great for PR. Uh, we are unable to combine our forces and act like a political movement. It would be really hard to unite the group that regularly questions its founder and is hyper aware of the possibility of becoming a cult. Anyway, everyone loves rational atheists with the appreciation of science and uncertainty. Just look at the Congress. Interesting things to point out about you know some of our failings and shortcomings. Uh, I, there's the PS here, which... Um, <laughs> P.S. Eniash, not to put pressure on you, but you are actually a rationalist and a writer. So if you want to promote rationality, aim for New York Times number one bestseller. It doesn't feel like What Lies Dreaming is a result of rationally creating the book with widest appeal possible. Which, first of all, <laughs> that was the sneakiest way to insult a writer I've ever seen. Well done, sir. <laughs> Um, but no, you're absolutely correct. And the thing is, I don't want, okay. It's not true that I don't want to be a New York times bestseller because obviously that would be awesome. And I would love the prestige and I would love the money. Um, but I don't want to write a New York times bestseller. If, if you, if you can understand the difference, you don't want to be a sellout. You would love to have sold out, but since you don't want to sell out. I would love to be that successful. I don't want to sell out. Like when I'm writing, well, when I wrote What Lies Dreaming, I wrote what like I really wanted to write and what was on my mind and in me emotionally. And I realized that that's going to be a bit of a niche audience and and that it takes, you know, also some time to build up. But this is not this is not going to appeal to the majority of people. And I understand that. And I am okay with that because I have read, oh my God, I reviewed this book once called uh, Red Rising and it is a number one New York Times bestseller. Uh, The guy is wildly successful. When I read it, I despised it. I was like, this is crass bullshit sellout. Like, I don't know if people who don't read a lot could see this, but when you're going through it, he is hitting every single note. He's like, yep. 
the downtrodden, oppressed, heroic figure of the working class. And he's got the four houses that, you know, the people are sorted into. And his house always gets shit on, even though it's the best house. And then when he actually wins the thing for his people, the evil people and the government take it away anyway. And we're like, no, we're going to give it to the Slytherin house because we like them better. And they just... Every single thing, it's just obvious, blatant exploitation of what's popular in the moment. It just felt super tropey. Oh my god. Not not just that it felt tropey, it felt soulless. This guy did not care about putting forth any sort of vision or revealing himself on the page. All he wanted to do was sell a lot of books. And he managed to sell a lot of books, but god, it was an empty, soulless piece of writing. And I don't want to write that. Yeah, and if this is going to be a rationalist book, I don't know if that's going to be a New York Times bestseller either. Well, I mean, I guess he's trying to say that you could aim for New York Times bestseller and rationalist to get the word out there. Yeah, I just don't think that rationalist book is going to be a bestseller for the reasons that you were just mentioning. It's not like it doesn't tend to be the sort of thing that people enjoy. Yeah, I read it the other way that I read it the way of write a soulless book, become super famous and say, I did this because I'm a rationalist. Look at, mm. how, look at how successful I am because of this. Okay. Um, uh, you don't so, have to be a rationalist to hit that formula, though. You know, no. you just nail the three-act structure and you hit all the right beats and you throw in the four houses and the Harry Potter references, yeah. <laughs> the Divergent or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Did, did you ever read um, The Drunkard's Walk, How Randomness Rules Our Lives by Leonard Mladenov? I didn't read it, but I read about it. Then you've read the, you read the premise and you're either on board or you're not, and you probably are because it's unassailable. Mm-hmm. And then the rest are just fun examples. Mm-hmm. Um but he, he, he gives lots of examples of uh, like actors and writers and whatever. And it's just such a crapshoot. Yeah. You know, uh, I think he talked about how Bruce Willis was trying to act for years and years before he finally, finally landed some job in a movie that happened to be noticed. Or I forget the whole story. Yeah. Um, but it's like everyone knows Bruce Willis and, you know, he's super famous, but he could so easily have not been picked up. Yeah. And there's probably a million of him running around Hollywood right now. I, I, I'm um, pretty sure that... Every person who gets successful in the arts realizes just how much it's complete luck. Because, I mean, there's also the skill to, to you know, enter your artwork. It has to be of a certain quality. But, yeah, we know. They probably see themselves passed up by talented people or, you know, saw them audition next to more talented people and somehow they got picked. Right. Um, you see more actually, talented people being neglected. You see less talented people rising the ranks. And you, you see it the other way, too, you know. It yeah. goes both ways because it... There is some level of filtering, but it is it is still very random. Yeah. And uh, who you know. Yes. That, that too. too. Yeah. And I, I, I very seldom watch like behind the scenes stuff, but I saw stuff for, must have been Thor Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Oh, I watched a lot of that because Taika Waititi is a, tr- is a treasure, mm-hmm. uh, the director. Okay. Did you ever see um, What We Do in the Shadows? No, but I've heard it's fun. It's amazing. I think you'd love it. Cool. It's, it's not... It's like kind of like The Office where there's a camera walking around and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And but with it, vampires. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like he's showing them around their flat and whatever. Um, so he's he's the main vampire in that movie. The okay. guy who directed Thor, Ragnarok. Oh, neat. Um, he also directed uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, which you mm-hmm. can see on Hulu, I think, or Amazon, I forget. In any case, uh, uh, Loki auditioned. There, what's his name? The guy who played Loki. Don't tell me. Uh, Tom Hiddleston. Nice. I know all the Avengers names because <laughs> okay, okay. for I a complete idiot. Um, so Tom Hiddleston applied or auditioned for the role of Thor, and the, when they was talking about this, they showed some uh, footage of him acting Thor parts when he was auditioning for Thor originally. Yeah, and then he when doesn't Chris, look like a Thor, although I guess you know put he, him through a personal have. trainer work workout for a few months. Yeah, maybe they'll give him a blonde wig or something. But yeah. uh, and then Chris Hemsworth when he got the the role. 
apparently he was turned down first and then his brother auditioned and then his brother got turned down. Then they went back to Chris and gave him the thing. So like, it was just such a crapshoot. And now we look at like, we can never imagine, I can never imagine anyone else being Thor, right? So I guess that was a really long-winded and unnecessarily detailed explanation of an example of how randomness can, can play a big role in ways that seem to like make perfect sense in hindsight. But at the time it was just whatever one of the people judging the audition hadn't had lunch yet or something, right? Yeah. So. Well, I mean, and the the amount of randomness that went into just Harry Potter becoming successful is huge too. It was a large part of it was just Scholastic deciding, yeah, we'll we'll pick up Harry Potter. Yeah, how how apocryphal is that story of you know it sat at the uh, the main publisher or wait reviewer's house for months and he wasn't touching it or he tried it like for the first chapter and gave up and then the and daughter then read it. it was like, Dad, you have to do this one, so he tried it again. Yeah, is that true? Uh, Probably. Whether or not it's true that something like that could have happened, and that's yeah. how random that shit yeah, was, right? sure stuff like that happens all the time. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no, I, I realize it's not bestseller material, but it's what I want to write. Yeah, so. there was the... What, what was Sailor... I, I forget the name of the person who Sailor wrote that Vulcan. post. Sailor, yeah, Sailor Vulcan had mentioned, uh, why aren't more rationalists um, betting on prediction markets and winning, you know, and being, being successful at business? And again, it's like, well... I, I don't want to run a business and I don't really want to gamble. Those like aren't fun to me. <laughs> so that, that goes back to the whole, like how do you define success or, or winning for yourself uh, as an artist, probably making the art of the story that you want to write. Which I think takes us very um, succinctly into Rockham's comment. Sorry. Rockham says another big reason why it does not look like rationalists are winning risk appetite. Uh, let's say I offer you a choice between either $1,000 cash or 100 coin flips where you get 15 bucks for each heads. The lump sum has the higher expected payout, but there will be some cases where the risky coin flips get the better result. Looking at the people with the most success, Musk, etc., and asking why we got less than them is classic survivorship bias. The expected utility of the winners could have been lower. Risk-averse rational agents, even perfect ones, will never gain world dominance, but they will likely lead happy, slightly above-average lives. Why aren't rationalists winning? Maybe we already are. <laughs> and, and I really like that. And I like also, that too. you know, I, I think there's the, the survivorship thing has a good point. It's like, if you're living the, the high-risk strategy, 9,999 of your offspring aren't going to live, but the one that makes it is going to be hugely successful, and everyone's going to be like, why aren't we successful like him? It's like, you know, you didn't see all the other people that crashed and burned. I also like it because it's kind of a cop-out and I don't have to take over the world now to prove how successful I am. So, um, But no, I, I I think that's a really good point. And, you know, it part of the... Did we touch on this about, you know, what can allow you to be so risk-indulgent, risk, risk uh, indulgent, tolerant, tolerant mm-hmm. is that it's not really a risk. Like if, if daddy gives you $2 million and you're like, I'm going to go buy a bunch of shit and I have no idea what I'm doing. Oh no, I'm bankrupt. Can I have more millions of dollars? And the answer is yes every time. Mm. Then it's not, then you're, you kind of have to just keep throwing losing throws to not win something, right? If you, if you're, if you, if you're gambling in Vegas and you, you have an unlimited bank account and you don't win some money, even, even if it's not more than you came in with, if you, if you never win a hand, you just suck. Mm. So there's something to the idea that, with the 15 coin flips versus the hundred bucks, like if, if a hundred bucks would make or break my month, I would take that in a hot second. I wouldn't gamble any of it. Right. Mm-hmm. But if I was like, yeah, fuck it. 30 bucks and 150 bucks is emotionally salient. The, the emotional salience of those is the same to me right now. I'll go ahead and take the coin flips. So it varies from where you're at as the agent too. I know this is an understood problem. I'm just kind of reemphasizing it. So yeah, well, I like the idea of 
a large group of people leading happy, above-average lives. That's a good goal to aim for. Yeah. If we end up higher than that, then that's cool. But like, even if we just if we just achieve that, that's still winning. Yeah. Agreed. In my book. <laughs> I had a last quick one that we can phase oh. out if we want to take it longer. Please, because neither watch neither none of us watched the twenty minute video on the uh, AMA uh, post on the subreddit. Um, mm-hmm. User Fidel, I don't know, P H E I D L, said thoughts on Patreon's decision to ban Carl Benjamin. And I watched the first 10 minutes of it, and I didn't finish it, so I didn't get the full context. But I thought that, I know that Patreon and other places have been banning some users over the last year or so. I know you, nothing about this. I don't know who, Carl what? Uh, Benjamin. Yeah, I don't know who that is or what's going that, on, who so that I, is either. I cannot speak to it at all today. Yeah, we can, let's save the big one for later, but I think my thoughts, and, and this will probably generate some kickback. I'm okay with Patreon banning some people. Um, I liked when Alex Jones was deplatformed. I think that, you know, he, he should be allowed to pay for his own his own website and host his own stuff and say whatever he wants and he can go to a street corner and hold signs or shout or whatever he feels like doing. But it's not up to iTunes or YouTube or whatever to host his, his belligerent nonsense, right? I, 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 I see have how some qualms. I see how it's like it's like silencing somebody yeah. if they're not allowed to use the platform that everyone else is allowed to use. And yet how bad do you have to be before someone's like, I'm gonna take your microphone away that I own. Well, right? I mean Maybe you have to be, like, not a Christian. That's pretty bad, dude. I see what you're doing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the... All right, so we'll, we'll say that we, one Yeah, later. we'll talk about it all next right. time. Deal. Or the time after. Yeah. All right. Uh, our patron that we're thinking this week is Ivan. Thank you, Ivan, for helping contribute, keeping this going, and, you know, making us feel appreciated. Thanks, Ivan. You rock. Thanks, Ivan. You're awesome. And we love you. <laughs> trying to think of something to say besides thanks name yeah but that might have just been creepy sorry ivan <laughs> we know your full name and address and a, a, a thank you gift is on its way right. i don't know that's even creepier right? <laughs> that's, super creepy. that's also not true <laughs> totally not true people might subscribe more if we like gave them random thank you gifts i you know i thought about doing stickers or something they're really? just super easy i don't know if anyone wants them we could make them i could draw stickers We've got we've got your awesome drawing that we could put on stickers the the podcast art right yeah that's true um, then I won't have to draw anything new yeah. or if you want to you're obviously <laughs> welcome to but uh, yeah I don't know if if there's literally one person who says a thing that might be interesting I'll look into it how's that sound sounds great all right cool. well in that case uh, you know keep an eye on um, posting a review on iTunes if you want you yeah. know you can join the discussion on the website. You can look at the subreddit or email us directly at the Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. Or wait, no, Bayesian Conspiracy Podcast at gmail.com. Yes, that's right. No that's right. in that one. It's also on the con- uh, contact us page on the website, which is the Conspiracy.com. Yes. And, you know, you, you don't even have to do any of those. You can just tell a friend about it. Say, these guys are cool. Listen to this thing. Yeah. Maybe, you know, have them trapped in a car and then turn it on. <laughs> Inflict us upon your friends and family. <laughs> it's always my go-to. Yeah. No, don't make yourself unpopular among people on our behalf. But, you know, if you... if you, I'm done now. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Good night.